Welcome to the Passion Purpose Power podcast. I'm your host, Ames. I'm a neurodivergent, fat, queer counsellor, coach and clinical supervisor. And I love stories. I love hearing your stories. I love sharing stories. And I love talking with people about their stories. In this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to interesting people with interesting stories to share about their passions, purpose and power. If you love this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any amazing episodes. And come and find me on social media. I want to hear from you and please share your stories with me. Welcome to this episode of the Passion Purpose Power podcast. I am so excited to be joined by KBN Lewis, who is uh, an author, and I'm thrilled that she's agreed to come on the podcast. So let me just introduce you to her and then we'll get going. So, KBN is an author of young adult fiction who last year signed a seven-figure multi-book deal with Penguin. Her first published novel, Thieves Gambit, is being released tomorrow. And the book is a high-octane thriller where the protagonist, Rosalind, has to compete in a cutthroat competition for the world's best thieves in order to save her parents' lives. And of course, there is a boy involved complicating things. Um, Lionsgate have bought the rights to turn Thieves Gambit into a movie and KBN is on board to be an executive producer. All of that is super exciting. Kavian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. I love talking about um, all things author related, all things writing. And of course, I also love talking about um, my book. <laughs> so, but I, I love talking about uh, all these types of things. So thank you for having me on. Uh, no, you're so welcome. Thank you. And massive congratulations on the success of Thieves Gambit. It's, I mean, I was reading all of the, the things about, uh, I don't really, understand author world at all but it sounded really exciting um with different people bidding on the book and releasing it in it's being translated into 14 languages i mean i can't even imagine what what let's start with that what has it been like for you to have this experience happen last year so i'll say that i was in the exact same position as you last year in terms of i had no idea how any of this happens when it comes to auctions or book deals or anything movie related and looking back on it, even a year out, it's so um, it feels surreal, everything that happened to me and especially the scale that everything happened. But I'm very grateful that I got to be the unicorn in publishing and that people have been so enthusiastic about my uh, my work and my book. And but more than anything, now that I'm in this position, I like to go back and talk to people about um, the steps that I all the, all the things that happened before I got, like the amazing book deal and all the work that put in and all the years of like, oh, is this ever going to happen for me? And then it, it did happen. And now I get to come on podcast and like ramble about this weird world <laughs> that I'm living in now. Amazing. Well, and that's, it's so interesting because that's where I first came across you. You happened to show up on my For You page on TikTok. Great For You page. Um, <laughs> the For You page gods. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and you, the, the video that I saw was, was you talking about every book that you'd written before Thieves Gambit. And I thought that was so interesting because it's, it just speaks to the work that goes in. So uh, yeah, tell, tell, tell everybody a little bit about that. Quite a bit of work, um, but also quite a bit of fun. I wouldn't be in this profession um, if I didn't like just have a passion for it, like at the the root of everything. But Thieves Gambit, my big book that has you know the movie deal and the big book deal, all the things, is actually the tenth book that I've ever written. I've written more since then, but at the time it was it was like lucky number ten. 
And I'd been writing for three years at the point, and it was just three years of like writing and revising and trying to sign with a literary agent, which is the first step of uh, becoming a professional author. And it was a, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say failure, because I, I learned a lot and I gained a lot from all of the experiences of writing all the books before my big book. But it was a lot of years of disappointment, I'll say, in which, um, you know, you love every book that you write. And even by the time I'd say that I was on book five, where I was in a position where I could understand why the previous books I'd written weren't exactly up to par, but I knew that I was better than before. And when you are like halfway there, I didn't know I was halfway there with book five. I thought that maybe I would finally be there. But when you get to like that point, I was thinking, okay, well, why is it still not happening if I have, you know, I feel like I've put in the work and I've gotten better and I've improved and I'm still not where I want to be. Uh, I don't want to say that there were days where I wanted to to quit because I, I love this and I would be doing it even if I knew that I would never get published again. I would still be writing and doing this. But there were days that it felt uh, almost hopeless uh, in terms of like, I'm, I'm never going to be a professional author. I don't even have a literary agent yet. Uh, but I persevered because if anything, I, I have to keep writing. It's in my soul. And it worked out eventually because tenacity is something that they can never take away from you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so true. So, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess what you're saying there is really that the drive to write is is there regardless of the success so you you know you you would never you would never have known that book nine was the one that was before the one that was gonna actually get picked up and and people were done with it but um so so i guess tenacity being able to keep going but but i guess having the passion to write that's 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 the thing that sort of kept you going yeah i think the most successful writers um are the ones who just have that that like unyielding passion and fire and then that they just like you have to get these stories out you have to write like you know that this is what you're supposed to be doing even if the rest of the world doesn't know that you have to to keep doing that and i think that that's true for most people in creative professions um it's something that you would be doing no matter what or the people who are the most uh prolific in these sorts of fields it's something that you have to do and you want to do it all day every day and that's kind of the reason that you want to start <laughs> getting paid for it and of course, getting your work out there to share with other people is a part of the allure. Like when you write something, you want other people to to read it and being published is the first step in getting your story out there. But yeah, at the end of the day, I, I do, I write because I have to write because I love it because it, it's who I am. And getting paid for that was just, I thought it was going to be a pipe dream for a while, but now it it's a real life. Well, not a real life dream. That's just reality. That's just like an oxymoron. <laughs> You live in the real life dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's still very surreal. Like I said, yeah. it's, I can't. I don't yeah. believe it. Some days. Yeah, yeah, and um, did I? I think I read that you uh, work wise before before getting published, you were working in a library or library services or something like that. I was. I have exclusively my whole life only worked in uh, libraries and a brief stint at a Barnes and Noble for like uh, six days and it was in like the Barnes and Noble cafe, but I say it's it's a Barnes and Noble. So I'm like, oh, technically I worked at a bookstore. I was working with books. But for most of my life, I've been working in libraries. I started uh, my first library job when I was 16. I still don't know why that, that woman hired me. I showed up to that interview. I'd never had an interview before and I thought I totally bombed it. I called my interviewer the wrong name. Her name was like Jessica and I called her Jennifer and I was like, this is over. I failed this interview. 
but maybe I didn't because she she hired me anyway. Um, and I have worked at I think it's three different libraries that I worked up to until I uh, left to do full time writing last year. So I had a lot of spirit experience uh, with the book world and getting to meet young readers. I most of my library work has been with uh, youth services, so with kids books. Uh, all the way from picture books like kitty picture books and chapter books to young adult in my later library years. So I had a lot of exposure to, I don't want to say the industry, but like, you know, the consumers of the industry, which I think was very beneficial to me, uh, especially when I was working with the young adult section and young adult readers, because if you're going to write for teenagers, you should probably be around teenagers. And, you know, everybody thinks that they remember what it's like to be a teenager, but nobody quite remembers because well, also because teenagers change, like the teenagers of today, I'm 24, but the teenagers of today, uh, they're only like, what, six or eight years back from me, but they're still wildly different. And if you're going to be writing for kids uh, of any age in the modern day, you need to be around them and understand, like, what are they thinking of? Like, how do they talk? You know, what are the issues that are universal that they're still dealing with? Uh, so it was good for me, I think, to be around teenagers and also to be reading lots of kids books so I could keep up with the industry and see, like, what's popular right now? What are people reading? What are they not reading? So it was not intentional for me to uh, jump into library work when I was 16 and on because I wanted to be an author. I didn't know I wanted to be an author until I was 19, but it was definitely uh, fortuitous and if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, wow. And and so I guess, what, what what role has storytelling kind of played in your life? So you've, you've talked there about your, you know, working in libraries and, and getting to know the, the audience and the stories that they're, that, that those age ranges are, are, are reading. What about the stories that have uh, have impacted you or, or, or over your life? What what have stories kind of meant for you? I think stories are like the foundation of everyone's life, and maybe that's just because I'm a writer and that's how I, I think. I think, oh, does, is everybody like in, as influenced by these books that they've read or these stories they've taken in as? as I am, or I suppose as a writer, you spend a lot of time reflecting on the impact that uh, stories and media has on readers and as people as a whole. But I, I do think that it has a big impact on everybody. Um, I Some of my favorite stories when I was younger have influenced uh, my work so much today, and I never would have known it back then. And I even recently just realized, um, like, oh, The 39 Clues, which I read when I was, I think, in fifth grade. I don't know if you've read the 39 clues it's like this around the world like contemporary adventure with these kids it's a middle grade series so you know younger kids and i loved that series when i was a kid and i only recently realized when somebody asked oh did you read the 39 clues because um thieves gamut kind of feels like that i realized oh my god I, that has affected thieves gamut it inspired it so much and i didn't even realize it and it's just it's so interesting to me to see how all the things that you absorb and you love as a kid, when you become a creator, it's like so interwoven in your DNA that it can't help but bleed out into your work. And I think that's probably true of like all the stories I've absorbed in my life or anybody has, it bleeds out into your life. Even the stories that I don't like, I've probably subconsciously like filed in my head of, oh, I really didn't like that trope or I really didn't like that. So I'm not going to write that anymore. <laughs> it's it's so interesting how how it sort of it, it evolves and I suppose yeah you absorb well we absorb stories all the time through whether it's just sort of spoken familial stories or whether it's movies and books and uh tv shows and that kind of thing it's all I guess it's all all in there and goes to create a a, a part of your creative process um I think it's just I, part of the the story of humanity all of 
yeah. like the stories too. Like um, people have been doing this since like the beginning of time, like telling stories, sharing stories. I'm sure it has some sort of um, evolutionary like correlation of, oh, we're gonna tell you the story and it'll teach you a lesson that helps you learn how to survive. And in a way, I guess we're still kind of doing that, uh, maybe on a less primitive level, but more on an emotional level of, oh, I read this in a story and it's affected how I'm gonna address this emotional situation in my life today. Yeah. So it definitely has a, not just as a, an, an entertainment value stories, I think, but also just like almost a learning value for our day-to-day -day lives, even in this modern world. Yeah, it's, oh, absolutely. And I, um, I think uh, it, it, as a therapist, I kind of connect to that as well, because in my therapeutic work, I'm often referring to stories or analogies or metaphors or some kind of um, uh, way of, of getting a picture of what a client might be going through or explaining something that might be really useful for them to connect to so I, I think stories are about connection as well I think they're about uh connecting us to each other ideas and community I think that's part of it as well I love that I I wouldn't have thought to phrase it that way but as soon as you said it I was like stories are about connection that's so true I think that's that really is the heart of, of every story fiction or non-fiction it's just about people connecting with the world around them and other people and themselves. Yeah. And I mean, this is probably a really impossible question to answer, but in terms of inspiration, not inspiration maybe, but like your characters, in terms of the story, the imagining, the birth of a, a character, um, are you aware of a process of like how that occurs for you to find to find the character or the story? I am definitely, I'll say, a plot first writer, which uh, tends to surprise people because I think I'm in the minority, at least in authors and editors that I've I've met on this journey. I always think of um, the story and like the plot points and the set pieces that I want first. And then usually when I first start like writing my first chapter, I don't even have any characters like made out or created. I usually don't even have characters names. So I end up with like character placeholder names at first. Because for me, it, it's kind of a reverse process in instead of having like, oh, I have this character and this is a story that's gonna bloom out of this specific person. I have the story I wanna tell and then I get to kind of reverse engineer and think what kind of person would make the decisions that I need a character to make to like uh, start the story that I need them to go on. What kind of person would fit into this mold I've created? And I think that in and of itself creates really dynamic characters. Uh, because it's easy if you're just gonna sit down get out a piece of paper and create a character to come up with a lot of like cliche character traits and this is what this person would do and also i think a lot of people can get sidelined when they're uh, brainstorming with things like making character charts and then you never actually get around to writing your story or plotting um so for me i prefer the process of okay i know my story who's the perfect person to go on this journey and if i need them in this midpoint twist to make this really bad decision that is necessary for my plot, I get to think, okay, well, what kind of trauma do they have behind them that would make this person to like create, to make this really bad decision in this moment? And what kind of character arc fits the story that I wanna tell? So for me, it's kind of create the story first and then what kind of people would naturally find themselves interwoven with this adventure? That makes complete sense to my brain. It's a, and, and that's, <laughs> It's not, it's not like industry the norm that's kind of that seems to be quite unusual to do it that way around 
Uh, from the people I've spoken to, because you get a lot of questions um, from editors and people that you're speaking to about, oh, how did you create this character? Or, and everybody always does a little pause when I kind of explain my process, at least the people that I've met with so far. I And I haven't met um, another author who is quite as like laissez-faire with their characters when they start <laughs> a work. So maybe there, there are probably, I'm sure, other authors out there, uh, but especially also in the author verse or author community, people spend so much time because characters are important and, you know, character arcs, they're like characters are the heart of your story. And I think because characters are so important, people have this tendency to make creating their characters like the first thing that they want to do. Like, I have to make sure my character is like the foundation of my story before I fix everything else. So I think that's why most people immediately pivot towards wanting to create these amazing, strong characters first, which you should have an amazing, strong character, but it's okay for me. And I think that's something that it took me a while in my writing process to learn that, okay, if it's easier for you to come up with a story and a plot first, and that's what you're better at, it's okay to, you know, have your character fill in the blanks in your story and not, you know, have your plot, like just attach itself to this character. So I, I haven't, like I said, met anybody who thinks exactly like me or has told me that that's how they do it too. So I like to think that I might be just a little abnormal in that sense. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I love that. Um, so so clearly storytelling, writing is something that you're really passionate about. Um, but we can obviously be passionate about lots of things at the same time. Uh, anything else that kind of makes you excited, gets you excited to get out of bed in the morning? You know, any other passions that you have in your life? I have, I have a few, and I like to think that they also make the, their way into my writing. Uh, that's this could be this whole conversation. Let me tell you about how everything else in my life like <laughs> makes its way back into my writing. But um, I do kung fu, which I did in high school, and then I recently picked back up. Uh, and of course, that makes its way into my work because if you're going to have a round the world action adventure book like mine, your characters have to know martial arts for the action scenes. So. I get to like intertwine that in. Uh, I'm also like a little anime manga nerd. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of influence from uh, the sort of over the top nature of like light novels and manga in my work. You know, um, I don't know if you read any manga or watch anime or anything. A, a little, a little. Just a little, the really popular stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it kind of has like this, uh, larger than life nature to it, these types of stories. And mm -hmm. I think I wanted to see more of that in, you know, Western like YA novels. And so my book ended up being, um, I think I had one editor who I was speaking to said, it's your book is kind of ridiculous in terms of like the, the like over the top set pieces. Um, but I, I love that about the book. And so I definitely, I have taken influence from that as well. Um, and then of course I have like millions of other hobbies that I, you know, passively do and then forget about for like weeks at a time. Like I'm going to learn to speak Spanish. And then I forget to do that after like a week of watching YouTube videos. <laughs> that sounds so familiar. I have an app on my phone that was uh, supposed to be teaching me Spanish, but I haven't opened it for weeks. So... That's how it goes. It's always how it yeah. goes. <laughs> um, so if, if, we were to, if I were to ask you, um, what your purpose is do you feel like there's a difference between the word purpose and passion do you think they're interchangeable um yeah do you have a sense of kind of like okay yeah this is my purpose um i do think that there is a difference between purpose and passion i think 
purpose implies a responsibility to do something. Uh, and passion, you know, there are no requirements with that. I will never say that I think writing is my purpose because I don't, I feel like there are writers who write stories that are meant to change the world. And there are writers who just, who write stories that are uh, in their heart and they write for themselves. Uh, I am one of those selfish writers who I, I write for myself and I would love to write something that changed the world one day, but I don't have that story in me right now. I don't know if it'll ever come. Uh, so I would say that writing is definitely my passion. It's not my my purpose. And I think my only purpose right now is to maybe find my purpose. <laughs> and that's totally that's totally okay. I, I don't think I think it's okay to live without a purpose too. It's okay to just be. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think um I, I'm it's an interesting journey doing this podcast and asking people these questions about purpose because it's it's not really a word sometimes that we really think about in terms of our lives, like my purpose. It's, it feels like it's much more of a reason for living, a meaning that's so much greater than the word passion, I suppose. Not, mm. not that it was greater than the other, but it does sort of feel like it's a, a but bigger It, it would be implied that people would think that uh, the word purpose, people put so much weight behind it and so much, I feel like so many people spend so much time thinking about it. Like, what is the purpose of my life and it's like a trick question to me like it's it's okay that you can have a purpose if you want to give yourself one if that like is your driving force but it's okay to to not have a purpose it's okay to just be like I said then that's my opinion I agree yeah and I think I think yeah no purpose several purposes you know it can it can equally uh yeah it doesn't have to be one kind of big major thing um when so thinking about the movie i mean I, I don't even know how you would begin to get your head around the fact that your book is going to be made into a, a movie um did you at any point in the writing of it kind of think i can imagine this as a film no <laughs> not at all and people have asked me that quite a bit and um i remember when i was writing thieves gambit uh i wasn't at all thinking that oh this is like so cinematic somebody is going to want to adapt this i was just like oh Am I finally going to get an agent with this one? Uh, yeah. It was actually my literary agent who the first ever email I got from her, she was the first person to say, this feels so cinematic. I could like see the movie playing in my head. And no one had said that uh, about any of my work before, and especially Thieves Gambit, because so few people uh, had read it. And I, I just kind of brushed it off. I was like, oh, that's cool. She's just saying that because, you know, she wants to be my agent. She's going to like try to gas me up. Uh, and I didn't really think about it for a while. Um, but then I guess once more people did start seeing or reading the work, uh, editors and eventually film producers, I was seeing a sort of consensus of everybody thinks, oh, this is like very cinematic and very, I could totally see this as a TV series or a, a movie. And that's only the only time in which I actually thought, oh, well, maybe this is sort of like cinematic and does have sort of like a movie-esque feel. But I was not thinking about that when I was writing at all. I was never writing, like trying to be adapted because that's like an unrealistic goal that happens to like so few books. It would be unrealistic to try and write with, with that end goal in mind. Uh, but I will say looking back on my book now and having out outside people's perspective, um, I do realize that a lot of the stories that I took influence from are films. Like there's definitely a lot of influence from the Mission Impossible movies and in my sequel that I'm working on now um, for movies like the James Bond movies and Casino Royale. 
So maybe it was silly of me to be inspired by all of these movies and not think that it would end up making my book um, kind of, you know, its own little like novelized movie. But I'm glad that it ended up that way because now, like you said, it is really weird to even imagine that, oh, someone's going to be adapting my work and playing these characters that I like made up in my head. <laughs> Wow. And and what does it mean to kind of executive produce? Like for, for, for those of who've got no idea about any of that kind of thing, what, what does that make your role within the film? Uh, it has sort of a flexible meaning when it, it's an author who is like, uh, they're adapting your work. It basically, from my understanding and my experience so far, is me having the option to have input on like the big creative decisions, uh, but also specifically because I asked to the option to step back as well. It's kind of like having an open door with like the producers and the creative team. Um, I, of course, I'm working with my screenwriter. I have an amazing screenwriter um, who asked me questions and well, before the strike, of course, he was uh, sending me questions and everything concerning like, oh, can you tell me a little bit more about um, this character who we didn't go that deep into in the book? But is there anything you want to tell me about their backstory and that sort of thing? And uh, of course, I, I'm always able to email or contact my producers and ask them questions, not just about timelines and everything, but if I wanted to shoot them like a cast list of like Dreamcast, I, I could do that, uh, which I have not done. And I always fumble the ball whenever I get asked questions about cast because I, I don't know, I'm not as big into like the celebrity actor culture as maybe other people. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't really know, like, come back and ask me later. Um, but I also appreciate the fact with my producers that I've also been given the option to uh, just kind of leave it in their hands if if I feel like it and sometimes go MIA for a few months and step back and be like, okay, well, you take care of this. I have uh, more books to write so I can add to my little bookshelf back here. But for me, it's just, uh, in my experience, it's just the door is always open if I want to say something to them or if I wanted to step in and have a larger role. They've told me that I I'm, have the opportunity to do that. But as of now, I prefer to just kind of have them CC me on emails with important things. And I kind of mind my own bookish business. <laughs> mind my own bookish business. That's great. <laughs> um, I thank you for explaining that because, yeah, I had no idea what that what that sort of meant and 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 what role you would have. So that's that's useful. Um, so in terms of what's next, obviously, you're writing a sequel. Um, at this point, do you have any idea if that's if it goes beyond that into uh, uh, then another sequel? I don't know if there's a is there a sequel of a sequel. Is there a word for that? Um, oh wow, uh, my brother is constantly making the joke these days about uh, Thieves Gambit Eight Space Heist and Thieves Gambit Eighteen Superhero Heist, and I don't think it'll ever get um, that far. And if it did get that far, I hope it wouldn't get that outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> But as of now, Thieves Gambit is a planned uh, duology. Um, we were initially trying to sell a duology when we went on to mission and we're selling to uh, editors and publishers, but things got a little crazy and um, overexcited in our auction. I ended up selling three books, but the third book in my uh, book deal with Penguin is undecided as of now. So I'm planning for a duology and I don't know, maybe if the book series becomes like this really huge gangbusters thing, which I'm not expecting to like blow up the world with my book sales or anything. But if that was the case, I'm sure that my uh, editor and publisher would be happy to give me the opportunity to write more Thieves Gambit books. But I'm also totally fine with it being a duology. I'm trying to wrap up all of my loose ends in the sequel. 
uh, and hopefully move on to just as exciting, but maybe a little bit different young adults and other age demographic projects in the future. Yeah, because when you were going through your previous books on that video, it, you were sort of like, I want to rewrite this one and I like this story, but I think I would do something different. So you, if I mean, as much as the plan goes, is that something that you kind of still hope to do? Um, like reinvent those ones or create something new? I mean, I guess you don't always know. Yeah, there are, yeah, there are stuff, definitely um, books on that shelf, like I said, that I want to return to and books that aren't on the shelf that haven't been written yet that I still plan to write. Um, I have, you know, some people have like a TBR, a to be read list, and I have a TBW, I call it like a to be written list. And it's just, it's over a page long of projects that I'm like, I want to rewrite this. And this is the premise that I, I got this in a daydream the other day. And I think this would be a really cool book. And I have to write this one day. And uh, so I have this whole list of projects of things that I intend to do and intend to write and intend to rewrite. And I'm sure as I continue to uh, go on in my journey, the list is only going to get longer. And unless I like develop the ability to type 10,000 words a day, I will probably never actually complete that list. But there are always projects like and things to be done, things to be rewritten. Uh, I think the only fear I have for my life right now is dying with like my best story still unwritten, <laughs> which is probably inevitable, but always something to be done always something to be worked on yeah yeah and and um in a it, have you kind of created a an ideal writing landscape have you kind of got like a a a, a system that works for you in terms of time and what you need to have around you that kind of thing um, okay i have a system that works and then i have my over ambitious created in the middle of the night in a manic episode like system that I continue to like reinvent. I think I work best when I'm working uh, for no more than two to three hours a day uh, when it comes to like straight up writing or like focused working. Um, and I'm not opposed to like outside of that time, like I'll always have my laptop with me if I'm at home. And if I'm like watching Netflix, I'm still probably like typing out some words or like scribbling like plot notes. But when it comes to like focused work, uh, I try to get in at least a couple of hours a day of that. And I think I work best when I'm only making myself work for two to three hours of focused work on writing a day. Because if I put on my schedule, um, I'm going to work for four hours in the morning and then take a lunch break and work for four hours at, in the evening. I will never actually get any work done. I'll just end up at my computer, like staring in the corner after like the first two or three hours. And it's just wasted time. You know, you should know how long uh, you're capable of like focusing, especially on something that's... Um, you have to put so much mental effort in as, as writing or editing a story. So having known that when I'm actually working most efficiently, uh, if I'm drafting a new project, I'll usually try to write around 1500 words a day, I'll say is the average if I'm working on a new project. And if I'm revising or editing something, I'll usually have like a page number of things of pages that I want to work on per day. Like if I'm doing line edits, which is more of like sentence level edits, I'll say, okay, well, today I'm going to work on um, 15 or 20 pages, which sounds like it's not a lot. But when you're doing like line edits, which have like 20 comments on it from your editor, that's like this sentence is repetitive and this doesn't make sense. And you spend like uh, 10 minutes on each comment, 15 pages can end up being quite a bit of time or take you a couple of hours. Um, or if I'm revising, I'll have a 
note that's like, okay, today I'm going to work on this one chapter uh, and try to rewrite and fix the character interaction in this chapter. I guess what I'm trying to say is I have um, significant but not overwhelming goals for every day of work that uh, when I'm actually working productively. So it's an amount of work that is um, not going to take me like only 30 minutes to do, but will still it's still attainable like during the during a day uh, but that's when i that's when i'm working effectively and um not in a manic episode i do have a tendency to when i look at like i said the tbw i have of oh these are all the projects i want to write sometimes i'll it happens at least once a month where i'll be looking at the notes or list of things that i want to write and i'll think i could totally write five books before the end of the year if i just like ratcheted up my work schedule and then I'll tell myself oh you can definitely write for like four hours a day and then revise for two hours KB and you used to go to school and have a part-time job and that was like eight hours a day and this is only six hours and then I'll set up like a schedule of okay I'm gonna write four thousand words a day and then I'm gonna revise 20 pages and I'll have five more books done by December I will never I never actually do that when I make those schedules at most I spend like two days making the schedule and then I do it for one day and then I just can't anymore because it's it's setting up like unreal realistic expectations for yourself. So the most effective times is when I'm working for like a couple of hours a day with like, you know, my 1500 word goal and then, you know, trying not to overwhelm myself <laughs> with work. That sounds like a, a sensible uh, or a, a manageable sort of option. And it, and it, so it sounds like you're kind of you're not waiting around for inspiration you you know that you work best in a two to three hour period um and you 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 do you're not just sort of kind of yeah waiting for that uh creative inspiration to hit oh no i think i think that's a place where um a lot of especially newer writers um get kind of stuck and i was actually just having a discussion with um a friend of mine uh who we have a mutual friend who's a visual artist and we were talking about this um, that people have this idea when you work in a creative field that you're going to be constantly like overwhelmed with inspiration and motivation and it's just this amazing fun process all the time and although that's true some of the time and I think the premise or the starting point for a project should be this like blooming like love or idea it's not going to be like that every day and you can't expect it to be like that every day there's a level of discipline and uh, you have to learn how to work, I don't want to say without motivation, but without inspiration sometimes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn to plan for that. Like if you're feeling super inspired one day and you're just like spitting out amazing like plot points and ideas and you're feeling creative, okay, take that day to plan out uh, the story that you want to write, to like outline. So you have something to work with on the day that you're not feeling super inspired because you're not going to feel inspired every day. There are days that I sit down at the computer. I'd say maybe maybe even half the days that I sit down at the computer to write like I don't feel like I'm super oh I just have these words that are going to flow out of me like I don't feel like that and most of the days although I love this it is a job and you have to sit down and you have to do the work and that's why you should plan ahead and have you know your outline you're ready and I'm like okay I don't feel super inspired today but on the day that I was I made this outline so I know what I'm here to write today so also then there are no excuses to sit down and not have anything to do these are amazing tips for anyone thinking of um, or figuring out how to sort of get into into writing. Um, could you just tell me a little bit about that process of um, 
uh, putting, I can't remember the word that you used for it on the video, but you were talking about like, um, I, I don't know if it was optioning, but putting out some of your manuscripts for someone to pick up, like how does that bit work? <laughs> oh, uh, sending out a manuscript to get a publisher to sign you or a literary agent, that sort of thing. Yeah, that um, whole process. So I think the word you might have been looking for is querying. Is that yes, maybe? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, querying is the you know industry lingo for uh, trying to get a literary agent, and a literary agent is definitely a requirement if you want to sign a book deal with any of the major publishers out there, because major publishers uh, they do not take submissions straight from authors, which is something that I I didn't know when I first started. Um, I try to describe it similarly to how actors need agents to get them auditions because you can't just walk into Universal and say, I'm going to audition for the next Mission Impossible. You need like an agent to represent you. It's the same thing in the book world. Uh, you need a literary agent to represent you. And it's also sort of a stamp of professionalism as well, because most literary agents, a good one, and the good ones are the ones that have the connections. So they won't send you out with um a subpar piece of work anyway. So publishers, that's why one of the reasons they want to go through literary agents. So to get a literary agent, you query, which is basically to use the uh, actor analogy again, kind of like auditioning, in which you send them a little piece of your work along with the pitch, which is something similar to like the description of a book you might see on the back of a book at any bookstore or on the inside cover flap. And if they're interested, they'll ask to read more of the book. You'll usually send them anywhere. Every literary agent has different requirements. Um, some of them, and they'll usually have them on their website, will say, if you want to query me, please send me your first 10 pages of your book or send me your first two or five chapters. You'll send them whatever, whatever they're asked for, usually via email. And if you hear back from them, they'll say, hey, I really enjoyed this. Um, will you send me the rest of the book to read? And if they are interested in your work, they will acts to be your literary agent and you'll get to talk to them of course beforehand and most of them will do a zoom call with you or a phone call and see if you're a good fit and you get to talk with them about like how their relationship with their clients works and if you're lucky it's like a good fit and you get to sign with them and then they'll try to sell your work to a publisher for you uh, for a lot of agents, uh, there'll be an editorial process in between the point of them asking to be your agent and you becoming their client and you going out on submission. On submission is what it's called when you're trying to sell to a publisher. Uh, they'll usually be at like an editorial round where they'll, they'll help you like get your manuscript up to the best shape that you can get it in. Uh, some agents are more editorial or want to change more than others. Uh, I've heard stories of agents who they usually only take on works that are like completely ready and they don't want to do a lot of work with. I think that's probably more common for agents that have like a larger client list. Um, but some literary agents, like my literary agent, she's extremely editorial, will send you through rounds and rounds of revision uh, before they send it out to publishers. It's a, a real team effort then of, of sort of, you know, the, the editing process and and this, you were talking about the screenwriting process as well. There are other people, you, you have this idea, you kind of create this work and then other people get involved and it becomes something different or better or more sellable. It's definitely, um, yeah, writing as a whole and, and screenwriting, but I know more of course about, you know, novel writing is so, I don't think people realize how collaborative it is. Um, and of course, as the author, uh, everything is, immediately like in your hands and you never have to make changes that you don't want to make um i've never had an editor or my agent 
tell me specifically, like you have to change this one thing. It's all about, uh, if you're working with a good agent or a good editor asking questions and they wanna get you to think uh, and sort of from an outside, but like in a qualified outside perspective asking, okay, um, does this plot point actually make sense? Or I like this character arc, but there doesn't make sense for this character to do this in this moment. Is there a way to like sharpen it? Uh, it's just about getting good critical feedback. And of course, like I said, everything is, there's not like a word that was rewritten in my book or a sentence that like I didn't rewrite, but uh, there were words or sentences that were definitely, there were questions asked about them. Like you use this sentence like two paragraphs ago, the same one, can you change it? Or does it make sense that Ross has trust issues, but she would say something like, I trust you implicitly. There's, that's not like an actual sentence in the book, but like, does that make sense that they would say that? But it, yeah, it's definitely a collaborative uh, working together process. There are so many people that like have a hand in publishing a great book, not even just on like the the words in the page, but the whole package because books are packages. It's not just about the words, although it's mostly about the words. It's also about like the cover and the formatting and where is it going to be placed in the bookstore? It, it's truly a whole team effort. And I'm really lucky to end up with the team that I've ended up with because they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds that sounds really interesting. And, and um, I suppose it's that sort of when you create something, you, you can only see it from the point of view that you can see it at. And then having someone else with a, a different view kind of ask those questions and, and get you to think about what you've written and how it makes sense you need to have someone else being able to do that because you can't always see it yourself no definitely and i i will say that it, that's almost one of the hardest things to do when you first start writing uh is take feedback which everybody thinks that they're good at taking feedback until you get feedback that you don't like or that you i don't want to say that you don't like or that you weren't expecting um sometimes it's I want to say the most frustrating moment sometimes where it's the thing that you thought you did really well in this book that is they're coming back and saying you didn't do this well and then it's the thing that you thought you did really poorly that they're coming back and saying oh, i really liked this please do more of this mm -hmm. and i i want to say that i don't want to be the cliche person that's like oh you need to get thick skin and get used to getting criticized um but i would say you need to have if you're gonna go professional as a writer, a certain level of detachment from your own work, especially after, it's okay when you're drafting, it's okay to be like super attached and like this is the work of your heart because when you're first writing a story, especially when it's a story that's not under contract or a story that you don't have signed, it's okay for it to be like your little baby. But once you send it out into the world, you need to like put up almost a wall, a certain type of wall between you and the work uh, because you can't be the type of person who's so attached and so emotionally invested in a work as a person that when you get criticism for the work, you think of it as criticism of yourself or as yourself mm -hmm. as a writer. Because that's not true. It's just if somebody doesn't like this main character, it doesn't mean that they don't like you, you know? And it's just like getting feedback on like, on a, a, like a normal job. Like, and that's one of the reasons that you should think of this as a job. Like, it's not about you and you need to have this separation you know like you can't please don't everybody's going to do it at first but don't stay up in the middle of the night at 1 a.m thinking about this thing this agent said about your work like think about that when you're sitting down at your desk trying to fix it but your work is not you it comes from you but it's not you just chill <laughs>
<laughs> great advice. Yeah, great advice. And um, so, if 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 I were to ask you. Um, what makes you feel powerful you know in terms of i mean power is an interesting word as well it's it's a really it can mean lots of different things in lots of different ways when do you feel at your most powerful and kind of what does the word power mean to you i think power is having an influence over another person or um mostly people because you know people are are the world to me and um i'd say definitely especially as a writer, I felt the most powerful when I've like elicited an emotional response from a person or a reader, especially a powerful emotional response. I didn't mean to use the word powerful because we're talking about power, but, <laughs> but I remember um, the first time I kind of felt that sort of rush um, about three or four years ago, I entered a short story competition. It was before I signed my agent. It was, um, I think I was like a year into my writing journey. So I was very much a newbie writer then, but I entered a short story competition. It was the first time I'd ever entered one. And I, the first time I'd written a short story, actually a friend told me to enter on like a dare, but I entered it and I ended up winning the competition. And I went to this sort of like awards banquet thing and they asked me to read my story. And I got to go up last because I ended up winning first place, which I was astounded by and I read my story and there was a certain twist at the end of the story that was like the very last line and I got to the end and I read that last line and there was an audible like gasp like through the room and it was a small room there were like 30 people there <laughs> it was not like an auditorium but there was like an audible gasp and, and somebody was just like mouthing like whoa and I looked up and I and I had like felt that and I could like feel it like rippling through me like I like did that to these people like with my words alone and it was almost addictive in a sense of like yeah. I want to do this again and you know they tell you as an author not to read reviews um and I'm trying to wean off of that especially as release date draws closer but every now and then I can't help drifting towards Goodreads or anywhere where there's uh, reviews of my book and I do feel powerful when I get to read people having responses where they're like my jaw dropped in this moment or I my heart broke when this character did this because it's like for a split second of time or even if I wasn't there I I commanded this person's attention and I got to I got to like pluck the strings of this person's heart for a second and what's more powerful than being able to influence somebody's emotions yeah that's and I, it's so lovely and exciting to hear you talk about about power that way because um it can be i, I noticed the more i ask this question this there's a real deflection around uh I, i'm not allowed to feel powerful but for you to really own actually god i love it when this happens and i love this feeling and and to have that influence and yeah to have uh, have someone moved and changed or uh experience of you know those emotions and feelings because of what i did that's so exciting and, and wonderful to hear you be so you know proud of that well i i am very proud of it and, and like i said it is sort of a rush uh, i'm curious or interested to hear that you say that most people have like sort of a deflection when they you ask them about uh moments where they feel powerful but i guess a lot of the times people's knee-jerk reaction to the word power or having power over someone else is uh, a negative reaction that you don't want to have the power over someone else but i guess um power like all things is uh more like how you use it you know and i'm grateful to work in a field where i can hopefully uh use this sort of power i have to 
uh, entertain people in a, in a good way. Yeah. Lucky me. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I, I mean, I cannot wait to read it. I, I'm so excited to read it. I mean, I love young adult. I, I don't know why. I, I'm 43. <laughs> I'm not. Everybody loves young adult. adult. It's for everybody of all ages. I agree. I agree. I agree. It's probably because I most often feel like a young adult or, or younger than uh, than I am. Um, but that, but yeah, it's it's um, really great to hear you. Uh, just um, I could pick your brains for, for hours about creativity and passion and and that kind of thing. Um, but we probably we probably should stop there. Um, but thank you so much for uh, sharing. Uh, a little bit of your journey um so really good luck with everything I, i'm i'm so invested i i'm gonna see the movie i'm gonna i'm, I'm everything it's gonna be great <laughs> oh thank um, you so much i'll i'll be in the uk uh in november on a book tour so maybe we'll happen to run into each other at a, a pub or whatnot <laughs> that would be great i would love that i will uh yeah i will keep an eye on your we, I, will that will be on your website the tour dates and social media and that kind of thing Yes, uh, we're still finalizing everything, especially with the, the UK tour because it's a little further, but uh, you'll definitely be able to see it. Uh, I'm sure I'll at least be posting on my Instagram and Twitter, which I guess is X now. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, TBA on that, but I'm excited to be meeting readers from around the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast and I really hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe and if you really want to help me out I would love it if you could leave me a review and share my podcast with friends who you think would also enjoy it. This podcast was produced by Lexi at Digital Hero and the music was created by Charlie at Walters Music Productions.